0: Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. Who doesn't love a good day starting with some breaking damn news? I love a day that starts with some breaking damn news. Terry Rozier is now a member of the Miami Heat. Big news of the morning. Trade going down. We don't have to wait long these days. We had Siakam a few days ago. We got Rozier now. Good times are these. Wojen Shams duking it out, just like it's trade deadline morning, even if it's two and change weeks away. The news, which I've just alerted to you guys, details, as I've now flashed up on the screen, Woj and Shams, each tweeting some iteration of the Charlotte Hornets are trading Terry Rozier to the Miami Heat for a 2027 first round pick. And Kyle Lowry headed back to Charlotte in the first of what it feels like going to be many trades. And I don't want to get my hopes too high about this trade deadline, but the fact that we've had two pretty big ones and we're not even into February yet, well, that's got me all tickled. I am tickled pink, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Fantasy NBA Today. This is your instant reaction episode. Uh, We'll also take the second half of the show to break down the Monday results. So you can just kind of stick around. We'll roll two shows into one. But point number one here, in addition to welcoming you all to the show, welcome to Fantasy NBA Today, a sportsethos.com presentation. I am your host, Dan Vesperis, at Dan Vesperis on social media. Please, please, please make sure to drop a follow over on social. That has been... One of our uh, greatest weapons in the growth of sports ethos. So I'd love to see you guys over there. And I got plenty of other things to tell you about, but I'll do that mid-show. Because right now, I know you guys want to hear what's going on with this trade. Let's start with the uh, easier side. The easier side of this trade is the Rozier side. Because uh, Scary Terry, as many folks know him for reasons I don't know beyond that uh, Scary and Terry rhyme is likely to do less in Miami than he was doing in Charlotte. He's been playing for a team that's not playing for anything. He's been very efficient this year. A real nice spike back to, honestly, these are heights that he had never reached before, thanks to an incredible two-point shooting percent this year. Uh... But more than anything, you know, he's taken 18, 19 shots a game, which is where he's been the last two years. Last season, you saw his efficiency fall through the bottom of the barrel. It seemed like it was because Charlotte was basically missing all of their other offensive weapons. There was no uh, be careful how I phrase it. There was no Miles Bridges. There was no LaMelo ball last year. So he's basically on his own this year. There have been stretches with no LaMelo. Yes, he missed whatever it was, six, seven weeks. uh, But by and large, Terry's actually had other people near him on the court. Someone else on the floor that can actually draw a little bit of attention. And then some of it is just luck. Guys have good shooting years. Guys have bad shooting years. These things level out a little bit. What's important to remember is what's switching places here. The Heat didn't give up any Of their high usage guys. Jimmy Butler, Tyler Hero, Bam Adebayo are all still there. So there's just simply no chance that Rozier rolls into Miami and gets 18 plus shots per game. Because basically, nobody in Miami gets 18 shots per game. I think Tyler Hero is the leader in field goal attempts on that team right now. Uh, Hero is at 19, 18.9. Then you got Adebayo at 15.7, Jimmy Butler at only 13.5. There aren't 18-plus shots available to Rozier. He'll take other people's stuff, like Josh Richardson may just not play anymore. He was taking eight shots. Fine, maybe give all eight of those to Rozier. Or does he get a few from Jaquez, or does he take one from Butler and one from Adebayo and one from Hero? And like they'll, they'll find a way to get him into the teens but it's not going to be the high teens anymore. Where does that mean he ends up? Well, I, I wouldn't, it's not panic time for Rozier. It, you know, he's having this outstanding, outstanding season to this point. He's at 23 points, four boards, six and a half assists, 1.5 defensive stats, almost three, three pointers a game on 46, 85 splits. That's been amazing. And we always kind of knew it was going to come down. We just didn't really know how it was going to come down. He's number 37 in nine cat right now. So let's just do some math at the moment. He's at 23.2 points on 18.3 shots per game and 4.3 free throws. If you just, by the way, he's also playing 35 and a half minutes per ball game, which may or may not hold, you know, Miami's main guys are all under that mark. Adebayo at 35 is the highest for the Heat, so assume Rozier's minute total is also going to come down a little bit. I'd expect his shots fall from 18, probably to more like 13, 14 range. Anything over that, you consider yourself a little bit fortunate. And that's a big drop-off. You're effectively shaving 25% off of what he's done. So just take that and apply it to the Ball-in-hand categories, meaning scoring, threes, assists, and the percentages. And then you have, I think, a pretty good idea of a, a rough. It's fuzzy math, to be sure, because, you know, you want to get into the deep, deep weeds on this. You're going to almost definitely get something wrong. If you're going to fuzzy math this, you take about five to six points away. So put him more in the 17 range scoring Threes come from three down to like maybe 2.2, 2.3. It's possible those actually stay higher if his field goals come farther away. Assists are going to drop. Six and a half is definitely coming down because he was the primary for a long stretch this year with no LaMelo ball. And now he's the fourth option. And still, I would argue probably the third point guardy kind of option on the heat. So take those six and a half assists and probably drop them by about one and a half, call it uh, maybe more, even four and a half, five is probably a reasonable target. The field goal percent becomes a slightly smaller negative. The free throw percent becomes a slightly smaller positive. You're now looking at someone that is still putting up okay numbers. Call it, you know, 17 points. Call it 2.4, three-pointers, still four rebounds. Fine, you can leave those. I don't care. Adjust them a little bit if you want. Uh, four and a half to five assists. That's This is still someone who's in a pretty good number, but now you've basically just described D'Angelo Russell, who's at 16 and a half points, six assists, 48, 78 splits, so slightly lower for Rozier on one, slightly higher on the other, but you basically described D'Angelo Russell, who's number 80 on the year. Is that satisfying to you if Rozier is number 80 going forward? If your answer is no, I would counter with the following argument. Isn't it nice that you don't have to worry about him being shut down now? I thought I personally, I think this is a reasonable trade-off. If you have Rozier on your fantasy team, you should be happy about this because the months of March and April are now safe. Even if a full shutdown didn't come until the final call it two weeks of the year, there were gonna be rest days. There was going to be dial backs, just not playing full minutes. So this is better. This is hundred percent better than him staying put. Is it the best possible landing spot of all the teams that were looking for someone who can score? I mean, I'm sure we could have found some place where you'd be like, oh well, here's where he could actually still get fifteen or sixteen shots. But here's the thing: Miami is competing. They're the six seed. That's a really, really critical spot to want wins because you don't want to fall into the play-in tournament. So he's going to be going. He's going to play as many games as humanly possible between now and the end of the year. You don't have to worry about any uh, nebulous where will-he-won't-he around the trade deadline. It's just you're safe now. Take the hit and be okay with the safety of it and don't complain. If you are anyone looking at Terry Rozier, this is possibly a chance to, and I don't think you can call it a buy low on him because I think somebody, if you have Rozier, you're probably more excited about the fact that he's not a shutdown anymore, but if he comes to Miami and he'll probably have a few really big ball games right at the beginning, because they're going to be force feeding him to make him feel comfortable, but there's going to be a little bit of a dip when it settles in and he sort of the whole situation realizes he's not going to do as much as he did in Charlotte, that there might be a window there to get in, but I don't, uh, you're threading the needle a little and I don't think the effort is really worth it. One of the questions from the chat room is does Rozier get a huge assists bump? No, not over six and a half. There's just no planet where he is exclusively point guard ball distribution. And like we've seen how unbelievably difficult it is. To post an assist count higher than six point six, there's basically a dozen guys in the whole NBA that are doing it right now, and it's basically guys where the whole offense runs through them. The guys ahead of Rozier in assists right now are, and forget the dudes at the very tip tippy top of the board like Halliburton, Trey Young, Doncic, and and uh, Jokic, who where everything goes through them. We're talking. Lamello, his teammate, Harden, Sabonis, LeBron, Book, Cunningham, Chris Paul before he got hurt, Dame. Unfortunately, Rozier is not those guys. He's not going to be like you, almost every one of those guys is either strict point guard like Chris Paul in that list. Freddie Van Vliet also in that list who I've skipped over for some reason or frankly Harden this year, who's almost strictly point guard uh, or. The hub on offense. So Booker, LeBron, who's also the point guard, Cade, Sabonis. Uh, Rozier was that while LaMelo was out in Charlotte, but he is not that in Miami. It's going to be, Rozier's going to be a part of a three-four-headed monster that's initiating offense. It's going to be ball movement-based. I think his assists actually come down from 6.6. If they stay that high, you call it a massive, massive win, and I don't think that they will. On the other side, you've got Kyle Lowry headed to Charlotte, and they've already talked about how they're going to try to shuttle him along to a new place. And if they don't, he'll probably be a victim of the buyout market, which is smaller, by the way, now. The new collective bargaining agreement says that the high apron, which is stuff that I don't completely understand, but teams that are over a particular salary threshold cannot get guys on the buyout market. So it's a smaller one. But That also means, so this like created two different things. It, uh, these teams that are spending a ton of money, uh, they can't just sit back and and wait for guys to fall into their lap the way that they could in the past, but it also means that they're not, well, it also means that if they actually want somebody, then they have to go trade for them. So you might see one of these really high spending teams offer up a second round pick to get someone like a Kyle Lowry before he hits a buyout market. That's much narrower. There are only like five or six teams that consider themselves championship contenders that aren't over that salary threshold. But I don't care. Wherever Kyle Lowry goes, he's not going to be putting up fantasy value. So you can just ignore that basically altogether. I don't think he's going to be playing much in Charlotte, and I don't think he's going to be playing a ton wherever he ends up. The questions I'm getting a ton of in the chat room on Twitter is about Nick Smith, who. Uh, Was a late first round pick for the Hornets this year and has done a couple of things so far this season, but not very much. There was like one or two games in there. I think a couple of weeks ago I made a joke at uh, and somebody on Twitter was like, why are you being such a meanie to Nick Smith? Like, well, because he has the most generic name on planet Earth and I haven't really seen him play at all. Uh, he's played in 26 games so far this year. Most of them uh, very limited minutes. His minutes have trended up a little bit lately. He had a 19 point game right around Christmas where he hit five, three pointers. He had a 15 point game on January 8th where he hit three, three pointers, but I would point out a few things, uh, about Nick Smith. The main thing is that Nick Smith has played 391 basketball minutes this year, and has three steals. Rutro, That's not many. That's an obscenely low number, actually. And I've got to think that that probably comes up a little bit as he figures out the NBA game. But if you're getting all hot and bothered about a Nick Smith ad in a nine-cat format, I think maybe you might want to pump your brakes a little bit. Not just because his minutes are not going to be guaranteed here. And I think by the end of the trade deadline, he probably does end up playing a decent amount because Woj also tweeted, and I don't have this one on speed dial here for the uh, for those watching on video, uh, that the Hornets have basically said, we're not done. We're going to be trying to amass stats. We're going to, or uh, picks, I should say, not amass stats. That's what we want our fantasy guys to do. They're going to be trying to amass picks, so they'll be trading the likes of Gordon Hayward, presumably, or waiving him, they're trying to move Miles Bridges because he's about to take some money. They don't have that many other contract-slash-old guys that they could do anything with, but anybody that, that's sort of not attached, they'll, they'll be trying to move, meaning everybody but Lamella Ball and Brandon Miller and probably Mark Williams is available in some capacity. But here's the problem with all of that. We've kind of seen the hornets with everybody out. And we've seen a couple of Nick Smith, you know, 25 to 32 minute ball games and they were only okay. Which doesn't necessarily p- preclude him from having an interesting stretch run in silly season mode, but it does mean that if we're all going, "Oh my god, Nick Smith, it's Nick Smith, it's Nick Smith." I want us to to look closer. Most of the time, guys playing low minutes go really, really hard in their low minutes. And so far this year, Smith, in 15 minutes of ball game, he's averaging 6.5 points, 1.7 rebounds, an assist, and 0.4 defensive stats. And that's largely because he had like one or two games mixed in there where he blocked two or three shots, I think. He had like a two-block game mixed in and a couple of ones all clustered together right at around the turn of the year. Otherwise, and like, listen, I know the minutes are not all that high, but Nick Smith has not had a defensive stat since January the 8th. That's seven games where he's played something like 105 minutes. Zero defensive stats. Do You guys know how hard it is to have nine category value with almost nothing on the defensive side? It is so hard. It is so obscenely difficult to basically just complete throwaway. And we're not talking about low. We're talking about, like, none. This is like Chris Dunn scoring four points a game. This is like somebody averaging, like, one rebound a game. It's crazy difficult to have fantasy value if you are that close to a zero in two categories. And we'll add on top of that the fact that It's not like he's going to be a field goal percent wizard, a rookie that isn't getting to the rim all the time. Field goal percent is going to be low. He's chucking threes, and he has a good three-point percentage so far this year. He's shooting 46% from downtown, even if we very liberally assume that that could continue. Field goal percent is going to be low, and assists are probably going to be low if LaMelo Ball is upright. Presumably, they would come up a little bit as guys get put on the shelf put in shrink wrap for the rest of the year and i don't mean to be captain buzzkill or anything uh but like again if you if you guys just do this exercise with me like how far down the board do you have to go to find the first nine category player who's averaging under one combined defensive stats per ball game how far do you have to go I did not prepare this before the show, so we're just doing it. Cat and Jalen Brunson are like the first two you come across that are at 1.2, but still over one. Are we guaranteed that Nick Smith won't hit one? Uh, I mean, you know, 30 minutes of ballgame, he could probably get to one. But again, we're now talking about a guy who's probably going to score in the teens, very get a couple of rebounds and a few assists and very low defensive stats and very low field goal percent. We don't even really know about free throws because what is he taking like three, four the entire season or something like that. If you're relying on a young guy with uh, obtuse percentages and few defensive stats, you're basically going all the way down the board to like a poor man's version of Austin, like Austin Reeves. If he didn't have good percentages, I don't know that Nick Smith can get inside the top 100 as his game is currently constructed. Now, if you're again, we can do this points league argument, or we can do this nine cat, this category league argument and say, okay, if I'm punting this, this and this, then okay, it fine. It works. Uh, but again, it's really needle threading. I added him in a points league for whatever that's worth. You guys want to know what I'm doing. I did not add Nick Smith in any nine category formats because I don't think that his game is going to translate quickly. And, Like with most rookies, you're giving them three, four months to figure it out. He's only played, again, a few hundred minutes. That's nothing. And now the chat room is asking, Dan, what about Brandon Miller? He's also a rookie. Are you as down on him? The answer there is no. For a couple of reasons. Reason number one is that he's already played, what, three, two to three times as many minutes as Nick Smith in their careers to this point. The learning curve has been shortened. For Miller, he's already had a number of games where he's learning the NBA speed. Also of note, we know Brandon Miller is a decent free throw shooter. He's at 82% on the year. We know he can knock down some threes. We know his field goal percent is not going to be very good. We know that in starters minutes, he's at 1.2 combined defensive stats, which isn't great, but it's not going to break you. We also know that in starters minutes, he's going to get you four rebounds, maybe a few more than that, depending on how time and playing time shakes out here you know he's going to get you two plus assists. There's already a knowledge built in. Could Nick Smith get to what Brandon Miller is doing? I find it hard to believe that he can do the rebounding that Miller's at, which I know is only 4 in 30 minutes of ball game. But as guys continue to get out of the way, Miller's going to continue to feel more comfortable doing more. We know that he's a decent free throw shooter presumably for Miller, you could see the field goal percent start to tick up little by little because of that learning curve thing. Now he's largely rostered. So this is a discussion that you probably don't really need, but listen, I got to do all of these shows like somebody's watching for the very first time. So let's wrap this thing up. We've done 20 minutes on the trade. Terry Rozier going to take a hit, but you don't have to worry about the shutdown anymore. So take a deep breath. Kyle Lowry probably not going to play in Charlotte. If he does, it'll be very little wherever he ends up. It'll probably also be relatively little. Don't worry about him. Brandon Miller is the guy you want to make sure is on a roster somewhere. He's already like 55, 60, I think ish percent rostered. So he's not going to be available in that many of your leagues, but you never know. He's available in one out of my, I think like 11 leagues. So again, there's a possibility. And then Nick Smith jr. Who, I think people are like are probably getting too excited for because they really want to be able to do something related to this trade is going to get an uptick, but I don't think it's going to get him inside the top one twenty five and nine cat. I think it gives him an outside shot at points league value. Brandon Miller is going to have a lot of points league value, by the way. Uh, And that's where I think I stand on this trade. Um, Before we get into the, uh, the box score stuff from yesterday. Cause that, that still needs to happen. I want to finally take a moment to welcome everybody to the podcast. This is fantasy NBA today. Uh, it's the Terry Rozier breaking news edition, but we're also going to review yesterday's scores, which did actually involve a Charlotte win of all things. And I also want to take a second to, uh, have everybody, cause there's a lot of you watching right now, please look in the show description. There is a link to our trade deadline live show that's coming up on February the 8th. We're going to start at 730 in the morning Pacific time, which I know is like ridiculously early. We already got these two trades to talk about, and you know, there are going to be more over the next 16 days. So we're giving ourselves five hours of trade deadline show. I know it's idiotic, but we're going to keep doing it. What I need you guys to do is to go to that link and just click the thumbs up. We're at 376 thumbs ups right now with over two weeks to go before the show starts. My goal was 500. I feel pretty good about us getting there, but I need all of you guys to help out on that front. So please do not only like the show you're watching right now, but go like that trade deadline show. Take a moment, please, to follow me on Twitter at Dan Bespris. Subscribe to the Sports Ethos YouTube page. I finally, over the last 12 months, 13 months really, have poured some resources into this. And I thank you guys all. It's been the growth of our YouTube page has been uh, very, very fast over those 13 months, but I want to keep it going. So like rate subscribe. If you're listening on traditional pod channels, please subscribe there as well. And check out our buddies at manscaped.com. Promo code is ethos 20 to get 20% off and free shipping on your order. Get anything over there at manscaped.com for 20% off and free shipping. Uh, It's awesome, man. They make incredible products. I use them uh you see the hair grow and then disappear on my face every day on this show uh and that like i'm never going to buy a, an electric razor of anything of any kind ever again cuz manscape is taking care of it forever ethos 20 20 ethos 20 is the promo code over there uh so check them out post haste Appreciate you folks in the chat room here talking about how you guys love the way that I, uh, operate on social media. I appreciate you, uh, you guys over there. Hopefully that'll get other people to come follow. Uh, and then Manila most wanted said, come to discord and talk as well. Yeah, it's true. Everybody's kind of hanging out over there. That link is also in the show description. A lot of really fun ways to hang out with the very, very, very sharp folks that follow sports ethos on uh, Twitter and on YouTube. We have one new viewer today asking what's with the outdated draft list in the back. I'm so glad that that comes up once every couple of months on the show. This was the draft board from 2020. So this was the COVID draft. Those of you that have followed me back then, and now it's a long time ago. Uh, we did a, you know, normally leading into the season, I do an industry road, old mock draft, but that year, like, first of all, the off season was like six weeks long, which was, crazy because the lakers won the championship in what like the end of october and then everybody was back at training camp in the beginning of december uh anyway i uh put together that industry mock and i reached out to the guys at fj fantasy i think they may have contacted us at one point to say hey do you guys want to help us run this thing and sure enough they said yes so the logo for their company is just off screen here that's not on purpose that's just the way that the camera worked out today um, so we put this thing together and they did the board on zoom while the rest of the, all the analysts were making their picks on zoom. And at the end of it, I was like, where are you guys and They're Like we're in Cleveland. I was like, um, how much is it going to cost to ship me that board? Because on the other side of this board, those of you guys that have watched this show a lot, you already know what I'm going to say is my bedroom. Cause I'm in a two bed, two bath apartment in West Los Angeles with two kids We share the other bedroom down the hall that used to be my office, meaning my office now is jammed into about, let's see, my arm stretches there. That's the wall. And then right here is where just like the rest of the room begins. So whatever my wingspan is, plus about seven inches, is the width of my office. And the depth of my office is this, which I'm touching, to right behind the camera. I ain't got room. But anyway, that's the board. It's hilarious. You can see where certain, like, LaMarcus Aldridge is right back there. There's LaMarcus. Uh, John Collins was a second rounder that year. Let's see if I can get that pointing right. It's hard for me to do it backwards. Um, so thank you. That's I always have fun talking about this silly draft board. And I plan on keeping up forever because uh, every year we get farther away from it, it gets funnier. Or at least I think so. I don't know. Maybe you guys disagree. Anywho, let's talk about yesterday, shall we? There's the Charlotte game. Let's start with the Charlotte game, actually, since that's a nice segue into uh, doing the breakdown. You can see Brandon Miller had a big ball game, uh, mostly because of very good shooting. We're going to need him to do more in the rebounding and assist departments, but I have some confidence that he will, especially as someone like Miles Bridges maybe gets out of the way. Do they? I don't know what they do with P.J. Washington. I think they just brought him back, but presumably if they can get something for him, they would do it. So again, like you're clearing the deck here. What if p j. Washington is gone? What if Nick Richards gets moved and Mark Williams doesn't come back? Do you pick up someone like a Nathan Mensa or j t. Thor? Not yet, not yet. Do you pick up an ish Smith? No in the short term, LaMelo ball, miles bridges, p j Washington Brandon Miller are all very reasonable plays right now, and I don't know that you i mean even if Nick Smith does start getting the start now with Terry Rosier gone. I don't know that immediately he makes a ton of sense anyway, uh, as we just talked about a moment ago, but also in this ball game. And it's so funny that like the headline today is uh, not the fact that we had two centers score 60 or 70 points yesterday, but cat had 62. And then basically the whole team got called out by their coach for playing selfish and unmotivated basketball. And this was like, Okay, guys, what do you think happens to the Wolves if they give Mike Conley a day of rest? Ta-da! Unfocused and unserious basketball. Mike Conley, to me, like, there's no chance that he would ever get an MVP vote because his numbers aren't big enough, but he is undoubtedly the most important player on the Timberwolves. Not the best, not the most exciting, not the most, like, basketball important, but the most... Overall, team importance is Mike Conley. Every time that the Wolves have had uh, like a, a ridiculous joke of an effort game, Mike Conley's the one that wakes him up and fixes it. And he wasn't there for this one, and it burned him. So there you go. Um, we we just had some weird breaking news that we'll uh, get into in a moment here, related to Tristan Thompson, um, but not going to have any bearing on anything. Um, otherwise for the Wolves, you don't have to worry about a whole lot here. You know, Mike Conley was out. Nikhil Alexander Walker got the start and got really hot from three. But overall, you're not actually doing anything with that. And now we can retreat to the top of the board. And we'll start with game number one. And we'll move through this stuff a little bit quick. Because honestly, yesterday there was like one, in my eyes, really important fantasy story. And then a lot of really big lines from people that are 100% rostered. Maybe two fantasy stories. Anyway, Milwaukee beat Detroit 122-113. It took them longer to put the Pistons away than it should have, but they ultimately got them, and that's fine. As far as Detroit goes, uh, Asser Thompson is a guy you're keeping an eye on. He had a very bad ball game here, so I don't think you need to be out in front of it. Some folks are calling him a trade deadline stash. Yesterday, I called him, or on the show, I mentioned him as a possible trade deadline stash, and then when I broke it down, if you listen to the whole discussion on it, I think he probably profiles more as a silly season type of ad, but you never know. The problem is that Detroit just doesn't have that many veterans that they can get out of the way. Alec Burks, Boyan Bogdanovich, end of the list, at least among guys that are actually playing any kind of minutes for this team. And even if those guys are gone, that doesn't immediately guarantee that Thompson's going to play full starters minutes. I think there will be a time later this year that Thompson does get starters run, but it might be March instead of February. Isaiah Stewart had a big game off the bench, but I don't care because we know enough about his fantasy game to know that these steals and blocks are not sustainable. These might be the only ones he gets for a month, frankly. And yeah, I'm just not, I'm not buying it. Sorry. I'm not buying it. Cade Cunningham, by the way, is supposed to be back in the next couple of ball games. And then Jaden Ivy and Alec Burks are each going to take a hit. Ivy's been sort of borderline in nine cat anyway, playable in points leagues, which probably does continue after Cade comes back. Almost no chance that he can maintain top 120 or better 9cat value at that point. But uh you'll see. Cleveland beat Orlando Cavs with another blowout win. They are absolutely smashing teams right now. Eight wins in a row for the Cavs, and I get it, not all of them have been hyper impressive. I thought this one was actually kind of an impressive win. And they didn't need to play the fourth quarter again, basically. So Donovan Mitchell just keeps putting up these colossal lines in 30 minutes a game instead of 35. He's number six uh, in nine cats still largely because he's, he remains at two steals per ball game, which I think is second or third second. Cause Marcus smart was second and he ain't playing for a while. Uh, Spite is behind Shea just Alexander and not by much anymore in steals. Sam. Another eight three-pointer game, and I just, I for better or worse, I cannot get on board with this stream. I know that I'm probably being short-sighted here, or long-sighted, by saying I just can't do it. But you gotta know that this type of production can't keep up for longer than a game or two. And, I mean, I get it, he's a very good shooter, You know, he's at two and a half, three pointers a game this year in 16 minutes a night. So like when he gets actual minutes, he's hitting four to six, three pointers in that stretch, but there's just, there's so little else. And in non blowouts, he's not going to play 30 minutes. He's going to play 20 and maybe you get your two, three pointers there, but there's probably not going to be a whole lot beyond that. It'd be sweet if he went someplace, he could play 30 minutes, but that ain't going to happen. And the Cavs love that they have shooting. So, you know, three point stream, if you really need it. Dean Wade is kind of a similar story. Max Struess showing some signs here. Two games in a row of 50% or better. Now we just need a whole ball game because he's a guy that needs the 34 minutes to actually get to his value. And uh, that's basically about where you leave it. No Karis Levert. Uh, He'll be back relatively soon. Orlando has fallen on hard times. Magic are now the eighth seed in the East. Remember when they were like the second or third best record? Reality has set in. They're 23 and 21. Um which, again, not bad, but they've been on kind of a bad run here. Wendell Carter Jr. has regained control of the starting spot, and so now we can get back into that same old discussion with him of, can he get inside the top 100? I think the answer is no, Uh, but he could potentially get kind of like back where he was last year, which, if memory serves, he was at 103 in a pretty good year. So that's probably your best-case scenario. Unless a lot of things break the right way. So what does that mean? Um, Nine caddy probably should be rostered just to see how it goes. Points leagues, he almost definitely should be rostered. You can obviously move on from Goga Batadze and Mo Wagner. That, whatever that was, is done. And then Jalen Suggs is another one where every time he has a decent game, I'm like, all right, I guess I can give him like another two games to see how this goes. I, I think I may be out of games on Suggs. He was very, very good at the beginning of the year. The steals have tapered off considerably. I know he had two in this ball game, but it, it just seems like he's out of gas. And I don't know if there's another way to explain it, but the defense is not the same as it was earlier this year. Maybe it's injuries piling up. Whatever it is, he's not the same, and he's way outside the top 100 for multiple weeks I think we can probably move on and I don't think someone else is going to be like someone will probably pick him up and then they'll probably move on too. maybe he busts out of it after the all-star break. Maybe he just needs some time off. Uh, but I mean, Markel Fultz is healthy We he didn't play in this ball game, but he's healthy. So he's taking minutes and Cole Anthony's taking minutes and it's just, it's kind of too many guys right now in Orlando. Joel Embiid put up 70 on the Spurs and it's not even the story of the night crazy that Terry Rozier getting traded took precedent but from a fantasy standpoint that is more relevant still an absolute monster a game from Joel Embiid I put on Twitter yesterday Believe somebody proposed this trade to me I'm in a, a handful of uh Yahoo public prize leagues and someone actually offered me Embiid in one of them before this game happened I obviously accepted the trade because it Kind of doesn't matter what you're sending back. If you're not sending a first rounder back, you pretty much take Joel, who uh, with this colossal ball game actually moved in front of Shea Gilgis Alexander. Embiid is now the number one player in fantasy sports this year, and then there's a big drop off between Shea and Jokic. But like, how ridiculous, man! This dude is ridiculous. He was great in every respect, and he did it on one turnover. Wild stuff. Uh, we've learned uh, again that Kelly Oubre is not usable here when Embiid and Maxi are healthy, and uh, hopefully we get De'Anthony Melton back in the not too distant future. Over on the Spurs side, really cool game for Victor Wembanyama, up to 28 minutes. That's a good sign. Trey Jones got hurt, but the word out of the locker room was that he wasn't bad. So hopefully, only small amount of time missed. I guess we'll see. Spurs have sort of no reason to push anybody through stuff. But you're holding Trey Jones at least until we learn what's going on because he's been very, very good since moved into the starting lineup. Uh, Jeremy Sohan was decent in this ball game, Not great, but decent. He's been on a pretty hot run lately. And I think a lot of that has to do with having an actual point guard orchestrating that first unit. First unit's been a lot better with Trey Jones, to no one's surprise. I'm trying to do a better job of being okay with streaming hot players and Sohan is hot right now so go ahead and stream him while he's hot just realize that it may run out relatively soon we do have some news by the way there's other injury news that we'll get to um and we'll do that after getting through this uh this recap here that i'm trying to get through kind of quick Memphis is always interesting. And Santi Aldama is going to be the story. Actually fantasy wise. He was, as the games were happening last night, before I saw him beat score 71 points. The thing I was going to talk about in the, the, the thumbnail art for this game was going to be Santi Aldama who started for Memphis. I think some of that had to do with playing against a Toronto team that doesn't have a traditional center. You'll probably see Xavier Tillman play center so they can preserve Jaron Jackson, at least until until he gets shut down. Um, but it, now we know, at least if Aldama is healthy, that Memphis is willing to go small in the starting five against smaller teams. And in my eyes, that's actually a really big piece of news. And I was going to say, hey, we got to all go pick up Santi Aldama, because if he's going to start some games, you know, he's going to get like 20 some odd minutes off the bench. Even when he's a reserve, he's probably going to play 23, 24 minutes If he doesn't get hurt in this ballgame as a starter, he's probably going 28 to 32 range, and you know he has fantasy value in 30. We saw that last year. We've seen it for sort of fits and starts this year. When Odama gets 30 minutes, it's a really well-rounded line. Points, boards, some assists, some steals, some blocks, he'll hit a three. I like him a lot as somebody to, I don't know if you want to say he's a full-blown ad right now, but he's awfully close. Now, the injury is a bummer. He was just dealing with some knee soreness. I don't like when it's sort of a nebulous, we don't know what the injury is scenario. Uh, But I like his fantasy game when he's getting minutes. And so, you know, I think if you can do it, you should try to stash Aldama. Um, But if we get a bad report, then obviously you can flip on that. And if you're sort of strapped for roster slots, then that's a reason why you wouldn't. But I loved the fact that he got a start. And, I mean, you can game it out a little bit. You can try to figure out who Memphis is playing. Are they going to be playing traditional big men? Like, they got the heat next. Would Aldama have started? Would they let him or JJJ deal with Bam? No, they probably go big there. Then the Magic, they could go small there. The Pacers, they could go small there. Kings, you need a big against Sabonis. Cavs, probably need a big. Warriors, you could go small. Celtics, you need a big, Knicks, you could probably go small right now, although who knows if Hardenstein. Anyway, so you're just sort of gaming it out. Like, how many of these games do you think Aldama could start? Half? I would have been good enough if he stayed healthy. So that's the whole, let's get a report. If the report is, eh, you know, might play in the next one, then I'm probably adding him. I like JJJ here while he's still going. It's sort of uh Jaron Jackson against the universe. He had a nice seven defensive stat ball game. He's up to number 41, by the way, in nine cat. And he's been amazingly healthy so far this year. I think Jaron uh, is number 32 by totals. So it actually hasn't been the disaster that everybody's claiming it's been, but it might be here in the not too distant future. Cause there's almost no way that he gets through the whole season without a bunch of rest days and then probably a shutdown very late in the year still if you can get a few more games like this because I don't think they're shutting him down before the all-star break and they're probably not doing it immediately after that but you might start to see those built-in rest even on back-to-backs you could probably get someone in the 40s or 50s for him right now even and that's I mean you take the loss but again you sort of it's like the same thing with Rozier you get out from the risk at the end but if your league ends early or if you're in Roto or whatever you can also still play it out. Vince Williams is a star. Luke Kennard is a start. Someone was asking me my thoughts on GG G. Jackson, and I, I've said them a few times, but I'll repeat it very quickly. He's going to be very inconsistent. His minutes are going to be inconsistent. His scoring is going to be inconsistent. I was not on board with that one. As far as the Raptors go, they need Pertle back because the whole center situation is blep. Thad Young had a nice one here, but he and Jonte Porter and and no one have been sort of alternating in three one every three games being okay. Uh, Gary Trent, only 24 minutes. That's not going to get it done. Dennis Schroeder, only 22 minutes. That's also not going to get it done. We need Bruce Brown out of the way. Uh, And it sounds like that's still a very distinct possibility because Scotty Barnes, R.J. Barrett, Emmanuel Quickly are all going to get big minutes. And Pirtle will probably play in the mid to high 20s when he comes back, which only leaves enough for a little bit else And if Schroeder, Bruce Brown, and Trent are all fighting for the same 65 minutes, that's one too many peoples. What does that mean in terms of how you use your roster slots? They're probably both. Schroeder is the easier call here of someone you should sit on through the trade deadline because if Bruce Brown gets moved, his value comes back up to that kind of like 115 range. Gary Trent is the one where we really don't know. Cause I need him to play 30 minutes and I also need him to get a dozen shots. And neither one of those things is a guarantee. He's a sort of traditional, you know, 15% chance at hits trade deadline stash kind of guy. Boston beat Dallas. No real surprises with the Celtics ever. Kristaps sat this one out on the back to back. So Al Horford got the fill in easy peasy for Dallas. Kyrie Irving, Luka Doncic and Derek Lively are startable. Lively's losing some minutes to Maxi Kleba. Uh, But generally, we've seen that Lively can be top 100 in about 24, 25 minutes a game, which is what he played in this one. I think your actual fear with Lively is not Kleba, but the Mavs trading for a big man, which we've heard multiple times. They're on the prowl, baby. They're looking at Daniel Gafford. Uh, They might even look at someone in Charlotte if you're going a little bit younger there, but like a Nick Richards would be interesting. There's only a couple years into the league. Um, Who the hell else were we just talking about the other day? I already forgot, forgot the name. Somebody more, oh, Clint Capella was the more expensive option. Um, I don't, I mean, Purtle would be a slightly more expensive option if Toronto goes that direction. Be great for all of those guys' fantasy value. Uh, well, I not say great, but be fine. Uh, and then as the wings go here, it sounds like Dante Exum might be back by tomorrow for the Mavs. And nobody's really grabbed that job by the horns. Josh Green was not very good uh, in his fill-in work here. Tim Hardaway Jr., I think, prefers coming off the bench. Derek Jones Jr. is kind of hit or miss. Uh, I've said on this podcast many times, and I'll say it again, I don't think any of those these guys, including Exum, is going to be inside the top 100 rest of season. But if any of them has a shot, it would be Exum. Kevin Durant, game winner, 40-burger, second game in a row. Turns out, friends, Kevin Durant, still good at basketball. He's right behind Luka Doncic, by the way, for sliding into the 8th spot in 9-cat. One more big ball game from KD or a slow game from Luka or Kawhi, and Durant might be your number 7 player. So, uh, yeah, still good. Uh, as far as fantasy stuff goes, not a lot to take away from this game on either side. Um, in fact, zero for me to take away on the Phoenix side. Chicago Zach Levine out for a couple of weeks here. The guys you're wondering are is Patrick Williams playable as a starter? Is Iota Sumo going to get enough run off the bench to play? And the answer I think for both of those guys is schedule play only, which is not the case this week. Chicago actually has a terrible schedule over the next through the all-star break. And like, it doesn't get good again until late March. Nope. That's not right. Early March. Sorry. Get my day's right. You jerk. Um, so I'm kind of on the side of no, and Levine should be back or traded by then, so we'll have some sort of closure on it. And so otherwise, uh, Kobe White, Vooch, Caruso, DeRozan, those are the four you go with. Trey Young in concussion protocol, so Atlanta had to try to win another one without him. They couldn't do it. Sacramento just has too much firepower, and this one, it came from who? Harrison Barnes? Trying to get itself traded or trying to earn himself playing time, probably trying to get himself traded. We know he's on the block. We know the Kings and everybody around them want to move off of Barnes, and rightfully so. He's been a ghost all year. You're not adding him off of one very big ball game. Uh, so no adjustments here on the King's side, other than to note Kevin Herter's little like three-game hot run, probably over. You can move on there. De'Aaron Fox, really poor ball game here. He has. Remember when Fox was like number twelve, and I said, "Yep, that, that that's not going to stick." Uh, he's number forty-five because these things just—they always level off. He's having a great year in a lot of respects, but the free throw percentage is still killing you. Uh, field goal percent ended up being a negative, as expected, he's still over three threes a game, which that's remains somewhat surprising to me. I, I think there's a chance that could still dip into the twos, but you know, you get a point on that one, Fox. Even though you ended up rank-wise right where I said. Uh, And then as far as the Hawks go, they ran a lot of Okongwu in this game because Capella was just getting run right off the court. And so the problem, of course, here is that Okongwu is not as good defensively as Capella. He is a much better offensive option, better passer out of the short roll, actually can space the floor a little bit. He's not like a dead eye three-point shooter, but he can step out and, and hit a jumper, which Capella very much cannot. But like if, I want, we all want Capella gone from the Hawks. We want him somewhere else so Okangu can run free and post massive fantasy lines. The problem is that if the Hawks still have any intention of winning games, they need to have somebody big they can throw out there. And Okangu's not that big. He's big ish. Capella's big. And you need a dude to combat big guys. So they tried, nothing was really slowing down. Harrison Barnes yesterday, and nobody was really going to stop Demonte Sabonis, who, you know, I mean, to Capella's credit and to the Hawks credit, Sabonis he had 21 rebounds, but by all accounts, he didn't have that great of an offensive game. What do the Hawks do if they run up against anybody with size and all they have is Okongwu? They'll just get steamrolled. Of course, the other side of this is. The Hawks Pull the plug and rebuild, maybe rebuild around Trey Young again, sort of tear it down, start over. That's probably the smart move because they're 18 and 25. They're a half game up on the nets for the 10 spot. And those two teams, it seems like are going to be the teams fighting for that last play in. And then it's like, okay, well, anything can happen, uh, but can it though, when you stink, can anything happen? You can't be in that middle spot. That's the worst, but are the Hawks willing to do it? Could you go back and build around Trey young and Jalen Johnson and Anyeko Kongwu. and could you trade Bogdan Bogdanovich, and DeJounte Murray, and Clint Capella, and who would come back in a situation like that, and who would step up? Let's just say this. DeAndre Hunter is probably your best bet of a hawk who's currently not inside the top 100 that post-deadline has a shot to be inside the top 100. Because if they move DeJounte Murray... Uh, or anybody else, or a combination thereof, then you look at a guy like Hunter, who runs very hot and cold, and suddenly 11 shots a games becomes 12 and a half. Some small bump like that. But he's been relatively efficient, and maybe 30 minutes becomes 31. So four rebounds becomes 4.4 4 or something like that. These very little things, 1.2 defensive stats goes to 1.3, and 15 points becomes 16 and a half. And these, just these little things add up and push him inside the top 100. He is uh, not particularly heavily rostered. For good reason. Because he hasn't been that great this year. But if anybody on the Hawks. That's currently not playable every day. Has a shot to be playable every day. It's probably Hunter. And now quickly here. A couple pieces of news. Uh, on the injury front from this morning. Isaiah Hartenstein. His uh, foot soreness has been upgraded or altered to left Achilles tendinopathy, which uh, you don't want to hear Achilles. Uh, yeah, you don't want that at all. So they will be cool there. Uh, as far as the Knicks go, like, I mean, you're picking up Jericho Sims for a spot start. Uh, I don't think that I would, but you never know. Uh, Tibbs loves his uh, traditional big man lineup. So it's possible that Sims could be teetering on some small amount of value. When did that injury happen? Was that back on Saturday? I think that was back on Saturday in their win over Toronto, right? So Sims played two and a half minutes in that game. I say Hardenstein left a little more than halfway through. I mean, they generally went small. Precious Achua is the other option there. He had 18 and 11 in that game on Saturday, but we've watched Precious enough in Toronto to know that his fantasy game has these gaping holes in it. Uh. All right, so let's play this little game to wrap up our show today. Here is the Precious Achua rundown. I want you guys to look at his game log. This is this is the best way to get a feel. And look for games where Precious Jew played 24 minutes and what he did. 24 or more. And the answer was like 13 and 5, missed some free throws. This is in Toronto. 5 and 9 with a couple of steals. 8 and 8. Like, is that really a game changer? He's 18 points this year. I think was the fourth time he's had double digit. No, that's not true. He's had like double maybe the fifth or sixth time he's had double digit scoring. But it was the the season high he had 17 and 10 uh, against Charlotte with Toronto and you can do the same game for last year because there were more games actually where true was playing big minutes he had a stretch in in January February last year in Toronto where he was playing 35 36 minutes a game uh, and he was still in that same neighborhood of like 17 and 10 with a couple of steals and generally missed a bunch of free throws and the field goal percent was uh better last year than previous seasons he had had a nice uptick uh to 40 what is it 46% after being at 44 the year before that. His field goal percent is somewhat unpredictable is basically what I'm getting at. His free throw percent has bounced between 59 and 70. We have no idea what the reality is there. You're looking at rebounds and steals and maybe some points. Eh. I guess the question then becomes, do we think he can actually play 30 minutes or is it going to be like 23 for Achua and then a couple for Sims and like 15 for Julius Randle at center? Because if that's what happens, then Achua is not even close. Points leagues, you could you got a better shot at it because the free throws, the turnovers for Achua are always too high for a guy who actually does what he does on a basketball court. So points leagues, I'm okay with you taking a shot on it. I don't think that I would use one of your four weekly moves on him. But given the news here that Hardenstein, uh might miss a couple of ball games, then you're like, all right, well, okay, what am I looking at? Where does New York's schedule land here? Can I wedge in a few ball games? And the answer is sort of. They play three times over the next five days, today, Thursday, and Saturday. Uh, and then they've got a four-game week next week, but I'm assuming the Knicks are hoping they have Hartenstein back by that one. Um, so 9-cat, I'm not making a run at him. 9-cat, if I'm punting... Uh, say free throws, maybe you got an outside shot, in points leagues, I think you can probably say, why the hell not, okay, Um, that'll be that, that was fun, we did a recap, We did a trade. We did. Oh, no, wait. The other piece of news, which is not going to have any bearing on anything. Uh, Tristan Thompson just got suspended 25 games for violating the NBA's anti-drug program. Um, I don't. I was looking for the press release. And he tested positive for Ibutamorin and SARM LGD4033. Um... I think those are, uh, like HGH type stuff. Um, but I admit, I don't know. That's the first I've heard of Ibutamorin, um, here. Ibutamorin is a potent, long acting, orally active, selective, and non-peptide agonist of the ghrelin receptor and a growth hormone secretagogue mimicking the growth hormone stimulating action of endogenous hormone okay so it is a is a hormone replacement deal so that's um that's sort of hgh adjacent it would appear um and then sarm lgd that's what i mean now we're just making things up sarm lgd what the hell is that uh legandrol androgen receptor um so that's also to replace muscles so that's also sort of a a regrowth thing um this is bodybuilding stuff this is uh performance enhancing drugs as opposed to i know we've had some players suspended in the past for performance uh dehancing drugs um doesn't change anything it's just dumb you know we move on but it is weird news for the day uh chris dunn by the way also downgraded to a questionable due to illness. You might get one game out of Keontae George from that one, or, you know, who knows. All right, thanks for watching, everybody. Hope you guys enjoyed or listening. Please, on your way out, find me on Twitter, at Dan Bespris, D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S. Like, rate, subscribe, however you're taking in the stuff. Again, in the show description, you got our Manscaped stuff, you got our ExpressVPN stuff, you've got our Discord link, and you've got our Trade Deadline live show. I'm hoping a few of you guys found it and liked it while I was yelling at you about it on air. I think like four or five of you might have. Hey, maybe more of you will do it in the next, I don't know, couple of minutes. Come on. Come on. Come on. Do it for me. All right. Yeah. Like, rate, subscribe. See you guys on social. I don't think we're going to be doing a second show today because I'm gassed after doing that one. But if we do, it would be a buy low. If that's not today, we'll do it tomorrow. Catch you guys in a bit.